the word of our Lord from Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. Lord, minister to us through it. Draw us closer to the promises of your Son, Jesus, through it. And Lord, would you bless us as we hear from you this morning. Give us ears to hear, we pray. Amen. Last week we talked about winning our culture. The fact that winning our culture will take a different kind of person, a joyful person, And it is far too easy and dangerous to slip into the temptation of becoming just like the culture by bemoaning the culture, being just as angry, just as frustrated, just as aggravated as those around us, all the while complaining and frustrating over the fact that everyone is angry and aggravated and frustrated. You see how that can be a problem. But God offers us joy, real and lasting joy through His Son, Jesus. This morning, let's go a step further and let's talk about the fact that winning our culture will take a different kind of life, a restful one, a life stilled by the peace of Jesus. On the night of His betrayal, Jesus promised peace to His disciples. His peace. Not the world's peace, but His own. The world's peace always comes with conditions, with strings attached, with exit clauses, with tricks and gimmicks. But Jesus gives His peace differently than the world offers peace. The peace He gives is a gift of His grace. And as such, it begins within us and works its way outward. The world's peace is always contingent on the conditions on the ground. Whether or not things are stable. Whether this party keeps up his end of the deal or not. Whether things continue as expected. That's the type of peace that the world Offers. If we can just get everything else in order, then we can have peace. The world tells us that peace is simply the absence of conflict, 
But Jesus promises peace to his disciples who will soon be persecuted and outcasts. In fact, he offers them peace as he approaches the cross. Paul declares the peace of Christ even while he is imprisoned. We live in a world that is desperately longing for peace, but has no earthly idea where true peace is to be found. In fact, true peace is not to be found in the powers of this world at all. True peace will never be established and maintained by politicians or generals, no matter how well-intentioned their efforts might be. And I'm not suggesting that politicians and generals ought not lead and fight for peace. In fact, to the best of their abilities, they must. They will stand before God and give an account for their works, just as we all will. But in reality, Jesus graciously grants us His peace, which is indeed otherworldly, and is not dependent upon the conditions on the ground. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. So how do we find this peace for which we're all searching? That is the real question. If Jesus offers peace, and it's not just about life always working out as we expected or as we wanted or as we thought it ought, and if peace is something that everyone is really searching for, something the world is desperate for, something we are hungry for deep down within our bellies, then how do we find it? The Apostle Paul gives us some suggestions that we ought to take seriously this morning. The first suggestion is rest in Him. We rest in Jesus. And that's difficult to do. The moment we think we've rested in Him, we find that we're working in our own strength again. But the heart of the Gospel is an invitation to rest in Jesus. Not to trust in self. Not to trust in what we can accomplish or what we can do, but to rest in Him. You know, falling asleep for some of us is a difficult thing. In fact, last night I found myself at 2 a.m. thinking sleep was eluding me and would be eluding me until service this morning. And nothing really was on my mind either. I just could not fall asleep. Sometimes rest is hard to find. But rest comes when we let go. When we stop grasping, when we stop worrying, when we stop thinking. Again, the heart of the gospel is an invitation to rest in Jesus, not to trust in self. Because self is the problem. The heart of sin is self. I want what I want, and I can do what I need to do. Paul's argument 
in chapters 1 and 3 of Philippians is about this tension between resting in Jesus and trusting in self. In chapter 1, he talked about those who were in ministry for themselves and how they were preaching the gospel of Jesus in order to, to inflict pain upon Paul because he's imprisoned. And he said some are in ministry out of a selfish ambition. Paul says, you know what? I can deal with that as long as the gospel of Jesus is being preached. I can rest in Him. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to fight for myself. I don't have to fight and stand up for myself. In chapter 3, Paul is talking about how our rest and God's grace is only found in Jesus. And he says, look, it's not our works that amount to anything. In fact, he numbers a variety of things that Paul could be boastful about. And he says, I consider all these things waste to simply know Jesus. To find my rest in Him, not in my own efforts, for I cannot save myself. I cannot give peace to myself. I the only peace that we can offer ourselves is the world's kind of peace, where we try to put everything as in best order as possible and hope it doesn't collapse. But in doing so, we're building a house of cards. And it'll never stand. But Jesus offers us His peace. A peace deep down within. A peace that works its way out and then begins to put order to life. It does not wait for life to be ordered to find it. It starts within. And somehow, we've got to come to the end of ourselves to a deep and abiding desperation to know Jesus only and to rest in Him if we're to ever have the peace that He offers. Paul tells us also that we seek Him in prayer. Prayer really is a... Um, it's many more things, but it is a cathartic exercise so to speak where we bring our requests to Jesus and empty ourselves of our worries and our anxieties our troubles and we lay them before him Paul calls us to pray he calls us in this different kind of life to seek Jesus in prayer Ian Bound said that prayer moves God. John Wesley said that God does everything by prayer and nothing without it. And so we pray because we have worries, because we have needs, because we have fears and troubles all around us, just as the psalmist did. And so as the disciples told Jesus, to whom else could we go? And so we pray, seeking Christ by bringing our requests to Him. But what ought to happen when we do that is not just bringing our requests to Him, but bringing our requests to Him and leaving them there at His feet. Leaving them 
And leaving involves trusting. It does involve a bit of rest. Far too often and far too easily, our prayers are more like a shopping list or a honey-do list or a Christmas list than a conversation with the one who loves us more than we can even imagine and who knows what's best for us. See, in reality, we really think we know what's best for ourselves. But we don't. And so prayer is about putting ourselves under God. Trusting Him. The aim of prayer is finally to trust our Father. And if He is indeed a good, good Father like we sing, then we can trust Him. We can bring our request to Him, not to try to manipulate Him into doing what we want, but to be honest with Him, to be candid with Him, to, to, to be frank before our Father. And say, Lord, these are the things that burden me. These are the things that keep me up at night. You already know them. But I bring them to you because you've asked me to. You've asked me to be honest with you. You've asked me to lay my burdens before you, for you are my great burden bearer. You've told me, cast my cares upon you because you care for me. And so, Lord, I'm doing that and I'm trusting you with them. Prayer does not guarantee that what, that for which we pray is accomplished, but it does guarantee that we, can re, we have the opportunity to release our burdens to God and to trust Him. We trust in His wisdom. We trust in His faithful love. And we seek Him in prayer. In that same vein, peace is offered to us as we give thanks to Him. For He is the source of all that is good, true, and beautiful. He is the final origin. He is the ground of all reality. He is the one who from eternity declares, let there be light and declares that the light is good. He is the one who made us in His image, fashioned us after His likeness. He's the one who breathed into us the breath of life and declared we are good. And so for whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, anything that we find that meets those criteria, we can give thanks to God our Father. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle James told us, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of turning. He does not waver. He only sends what is good. And so we ought to give thanks. 
for Christians being grateful and giving thanks, which are indeed two distinct things. You can have gratitude in your heart and not express it. And then you've fallen short of what we're called to do. But being grateful, having gratitude down within us, and giving thanks, expressing that gratitude in word, thank you, Father. For Christians, these demands are non-negotiable. We must give thanks. Too many of us call ourselves Christian, but are living substandard Christian lives. Some Christians are among the most ungrateful people you can imagine. C.S. Lewis in his, um, I think it was in Mere Christianity, said that um, it's funny. You find some people who are really bad Christians and you find other people who are really good non-Christians. Some of us, the world has us beat on our gratitude and we ought to be more grateful and not just more grateful, not just putting a smile on our face, but we ought to express our gratitude more often, more intentionally. That's why I really do enjoy the holiday Thanksgiving because the 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 call to give thanks is rooted in the gospel of Christ. We of all people ought to be grateful. And if we ever want the peace that Jesus offers, we need to learn how to take assessment of all the blessings that surround us and give thanks. For every last one comes from His hand. There's not a beautiful tree you've seen. There's not a a loving dog you've petted that is not a gift from your Heavenly Father. Give thanks. Paul calls us to center our thoughts on Jesus. If we are to have the peace that Christ alone offers, that's unlike the peace that the world tries to promise us, then we must learn how to center our thoughts on Him. Paul uses the term meditate. You might think of it as a way of outlook or, or, or focusing. But you, you can't get past the call of those verses that we read together. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. And he goes on and on over the next couple of verses. Those things that, that surround us that are good, meditate on them. The things that we've seen in Paul's life, he says, follow that. We must center our thoughts on Jesus if we are to ever know His peace. And this is not just about looking for the silver lining or the bright side of things. Rather, 
It's about seeing the good that is all around us. If there is anything praiseworthy, if there is anything of a good report, meditate on it. Think on it. Focus your life around it. May your outlook be be through the stained glass windows of God's various blessings. This is not this comes out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving and out of a life of prayer, but this moves us forward and it moves us toward the way we see reality, not just about a bunch of bad with a few specks of good in it, but instead seeing that and taking an honest assessment that our lives are filled with far more joys than we often think. Again, every good and perfect gift. And so, on what do we fix our minds? What consumes our imaginations? Bad things? Dark things? Resentfulness? What others owe us? How life is not working out like we wanted and how it's a disappointment? How everyone's just angry? How the world seems to be going to to hell in a handbasket? What consumes our imaginations? What eats up our free time? And if we're not careful, and if we neglect this call to fix our attention on truth and goodness and beauty, then what we'll find is we become consumed by darkness, consumed by spite, consumed by the world's frustrations and the world's angers. And centering our thoughts on Jesus starts with Scripture. And ample amounts of it. It starts there. It starts in the Word of God. You might say, yeah, but I don't understand it, Pastor. I try to read and it just doesn't make sense. Well, I'll tell you it doesn't matter. The Word of God will never get into you without you first getting into it. Some things that are good for you, or some things are good for you, whether you like them or not, like broccoli. Some things are good for you whether you understand them or not, like keeping your marriage vows. Which of us? I mean, Ransom really likes broccoli. Lindsay really likes broccoli. But um, I see a hand back there. I see that hand, Christy. I see that hand. Most pastors don't call out the person who just raised their hand because typically it's under the guise of, you know, anonymity. And I see that hand, Christy. I was going to say which of us likes broccoli, but I guess we've got, I'm probably outnumbered in this room. I'm not a big fan of broccoli, but I do know it's good for me. I still avoid it, though. Which of us, when we exchange marriage vows understood all the implications of them 
Terry, you're getting ready to renew yours. Still probably trying to figure out all the implications of, of what marriage vows are. But they're good for us. The Scriptures God gives to us, He reveals Himself to us in His Word. And it does us no good to say, well, I just can't understand it, so I'm not going to read it. Again, the Word of God will never get into you without you first getting into it. There's something to be said about doing what ought to be done even when your heart isn't in it. Even when your mind can't get wrapped around it. These aren't very popular ideas, but who cares about popularity, right? Well, many of us, unfortunately, do care about popularity. But still, our thoughts, our view on life, the things that consume our time, ought to be bathed in an imagination that is fixed upon Jesus and His goodness. If you want peace unlike what's falsely advertised in the world as peace, if you want the peace of Christ, you've got to be willing to be unlike the rest of the world. You've got to be willing to do what isn't popular. You've got to be willing to follow Jesus wherever He leads, no matter the cost. You've got to be willing to fix your heart and mind and soul on Him, even on days when you don't quite feel like it, and even on days when you really are regretting the cost, because don't let anyone lie to you. Following Jesus is costly, but it's worth it. We must center the focus of our lives upon Him. But Paul gives us another clue, another tip into how we can pursue the peace that Jesus offers us. And again, this is a, another unpopular point. We follow the examples that He sets before us. This brings up the ideas of obedience and submission. But all of us, every last one of us, have examples that we are to follow. I hope as pastor of this church, and my prayer is that pastor, your pastor, that I'm an example that you can follow. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I hope that that is the story of my life. That if you want to know Jesus more, then come along with me because we're going to know Him more. Paul does not um, shy away from telling the Philippians in verse 9, the things which you learned in me, Go ahead and interject that prepositional phrase that's about to come up. Those things that you learned in me, those things that you received in me, those things that you heard 
in me and saw in me. These do. And the God of peace will then be with you. It is important for all of us to have examples in our lives that we can follow in following Christ. We all need not just heroes. We do need that. Folks that we can look up to. But we also need comrades. Folks in the battle with us. Folks in the thick of it that are just before us, that are leading us. One of the reasons why Paul is so fond of the Philippians, and if you read, if you read his epistle it's in its entirety, you'll find that it's a very personalized letter of thanksgiving to them and appeal to them. One of the reasons he's so fond of them is because he speaks to them of their partnership in ministry. The fact that they're concerned for one another and they're concerned for those who are in ministry. And Paul talks about their concern for him and their investment in his life and in the work of God through his life and how they've loved other Christian brothers in parts of the world that, they'll ne- that their feet will never touch and their eyes will never see. But they have partnered themselves with those in the work of the gospel. And he is grateful to them because of their great generosity through giving. Philippians is one of those books that we often quote from, especially here in chapter 4. The passage we've read is a pretty familiar passage to most people. But also verse uh, 13, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then later on in verse 19, when he says that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. These two passages where Paul is talking about the confidence that he has in Jesus to be able to do all things and the confidence that he has in God to provide all that is needed for the Philippians according to Jesus is based upon and rooted upon the great generosity that the Philippians have shown to Paul through giving. In fact, that verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Paul was not suiting up for a Super Bowl. He wasn't getting ready for a next election. He was talking about the fact that he knows what it is to live with wealth and he knows what it is to live in extreme poverty and he can make it because Christ has given him his peace. And so Paul spends himself, gives of himself, is generous with his time, with his money, with his energies, with his everything for the sake of the gospel. And he says, I can do anything through Christ. Not just win well, but lose well. Not just spend well and accumulate, but give well and empty myself. I can do all that through Christ. 
And Paul, in praise for the generosity of the Philippians, as he himself is an example to them of giving of himself, says that God will supply their needs through Christ. But what are the riches of Christ? If you read Paul's whole letter to the Philippians, it's quite obvious that the riches of Christ are not really about money or possessions. Rather, the riches of Christ are much more wrapped up in the beauty of self-giving love. The true and inexpressible peace of living in the light of the gospel and the otherworldly joy of knowing Jesus in both His resurrection and His sufferings. Jesus offers promises a different kind of peace as He invites us to live a different kind of life. Only in a different kind of life can we know His peace. And only a different kind of life can be the agent of Christ's peace in a world desperately grasping for peace. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of fear, in the midst of anger, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of disappointment, and in the midst of hopelessness. And so Jesus calls us, you and me, to live a different kind of life, to know His peace, so that we can be examples to the world and so that He can send us out as light in the midst of darkness, as peace bearers in the midst of strife, as joy makers in the midst of anger, as lovers of God and neighbor in the midst of self-seeking. He invites us to come to Him, to fix ourselves upon Him, to empty ourselves before Him and to be filled with His peace. Would you come as He leads you? Let's pray.